0: Get ready for a no BS approach to health and fitness. This is NBS fitness radio. All right. Welcome back to NBS fitness radio. I am here with Jennifer Broxman. Jennifer is the CEO of nutrition RX. Um, I first heard Jennifer speak at a two brain business summit, and she has an awesome story that is um, amazingly inspirational. Uh, and so What I love to do first is kind of hear that story. And then our eventual topic that we're going to talk about today is nutrition through the holidays. It's something that, Mm -hmm. um, we're all exposed to, um, and being a dietitian yourself and having worked with thousands of clients, I think you can have some really good insight into how we can navigate those waters. So first Jennifer say hello, and then just tell us your story.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, David, for having me on the podcast. I am so passionate about nutrition and healthy living so as a quick kind of high-level overview I've been a registered dietitian since 2010 so just over a decade and I've also been deeply involved in the CrossFit community that long if not longer so I was a four-time regional competitor now I'm just a health and wellness athlete but still CrossFitting five to six times a week my husband actually owned a box for 16 years that we just sold in 2021 which is really exciting. Years. Yeah, he's like OG. I think he That's opened okay. up in 2006, and he did his level one with Greg Glassman. That's how like, like super OG, <laughs> OG he was. Yeah, awesome. And uh, we just decided together that he would kind of be the fitness guy. Well, I was going through school for nutrition, so I basically started a private practice, a nutrition program inside of our CrossFit box. And then it just grew and grew and grew, not only for our own members, but we became known as like a nutrition hub in our city. And even like other CrossFit communities and functional fitness gyms were sending their members to us because they knew we were doing such a good job with coaching nutrition and we always kept it really respectful that we weren't trying to poach their fitness clients from them we just really wanted to serve and make our communities a lot healthier so it was nice to kind of approach it from that abundance mindset not that scarcity and competition mindset
0: 100% yeah
1: so so that's kind of the like the quick overview and then i think the story you're probably hinting at that you want me to get into which i'm more than happy and transparent is I got diagnosed with a really aggressive cancer a week after I turned 34. So it had kind of some weird stuff started around my regional years of training where I would like eat very well, train really well, really be dialed into my sleep, my recovery. Yet I always had a super vulnerable immune system. Mm. So I would like catch a cold and it would take me like four to six weeks to get over a simple little cold. And actually, it, this is sort of the spur of what kind of like changed my course with CrossFit and then also helped me figure out I had cancer is I was prepping for the super regionals year, which is the year they kind of started to put all the different, you know, um, regional pockets together into an even bigger zone. Yeah. And I caught the flu. And whatever, no big deal. People catch the flu, but it nearly killed me. So I had like a breathing emergency where I basically like almost couldn't breathe. I started turning like purple in the face. My dog woke up and got like nudged my husband awake to basically be like, Jen's not okay, go help her. And so we live like three minutes down the road from a hospital. We figured it would be faster if he drove me there than like waiting for an ambulance. So he basically like, carried me in. And the physician, I really like bless his heart. He had good intuition, was like, something's not right with this girl in that maybe there's a lot of things not right. But he was (laughs) kind of like, he was basically like, you're so fit. You are so healthy. You've had a couple of these like really serious illnesses. He's like, I'm kind of thinking there's something else going on. This is at least worth a referral after your like emergency admission to just double check that things are okay. So they sent me for some lung testing. And they're like, Well, you have like 180% expected like VO2 max. And I was like, Well, yeah, I'm an athlete. I've like I've greened my lungs really well. Like I'm really fit. But I was like, but I feel like I can't breathe. And then at the same time, I was always so sick to my stomach. I was like, ah, oh, is there like a food sensitivity? But I've been like down that road as a dietitian. I've like know all the things like really worked on gut health fermented foods right kinds of fiber you know stress management i was like i know this stuff inside and out and so they were like well maybe you actually have cystic fibrosis like you might have a more mild case where there's just a lot of mucus and lung problems and you know recurrent infections that don't make sense so at first they were kind of treating me like i had cystic fibrosis okay But that wasn't actually the case. So a few more years went on where I felt like a crazy hypochondriac. And I had like
0: like two, three years beyond after this.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took Uh five years to get my cancer diagnosed from the time I first started bringing up just weird stuff with my body to the, the time they basically caught it. And at that point, I felt like I was crazy because I was like, I, I am not one of those people that seeks attention. I'm not wanting to be in the medical care system. Yeah. Like I truly believe in healthcare, yeah. which is all the stuff that we as coaches know is like preventative care, wellness, like getting great sleep, putting quality foods into our body, working on stress, going out for walks and hikes in the woods, like yoga, meditation. I was like, I don't know what else I can do to like Like, I'm doing all the things. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so finally, I got in for a colonoscopy, not the most fun procedure, but I was like, you know what? Let's just rule out that I don't have like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Like, maybe there is something autoimmune genetic going on that's just making me feel so crappy. And then that was the day my world changed. So um, my husband had dropped me off. We get, I guess, put under in Canada to get that done. You're not awake. But all of a sudden, Dave was like, oh, the waiting room was really building up, building up. And he's like, oh, poor Jen is stuck in the back room. Some old person probably has something more serious. Meanwhile, it was me that had something really serious. So I've worked in healthcare long enough to know that when you get asked to be seen in the private medical room after a procedure, that's never a good sign. So as I'm like getting ready, you know, after it's over, they're like, hey, can you just wait a second? The doctor wants to come out and talk to you in, in one of the side rooms. And I was like, oh, OK, this isn't going to be the best news. Yeah. So he kind of like looks me straight on and he's like, unfortunately, we immediately got in there and like found something. Um, we biopsied it. We've taken lots of blood work. We're going to go send it off to pathology for some testing and we couldn't really get the camera around it. So we couldn't go a lot further up to really investigate. Um, but yeah, probably means you're going to need some surgery. We're hoping it's just a benign growth. We'll get that out of you. And I was like, I'm a straight shooter. I like looked him dead in the eye and I was like, do you think it's cancer? And I think I caught him off guard. because so I don't think no. people are that direct. And he kind of <laughs> like paused for a second. And I was like, no, like, tell oh. me your honest clinical opinion. Do you think you found cancer? And he's like, well, 50, 50. Mm. And I actually hunted down the pathology, like the, the um, operative report afterwards, or the colonoscopy report afterwards. And he was like, High suspected lesion does not appear to be or originating from the colon itself, unknown origin. Like basically like we found something really bad and really serious, but I think to protect their medical liability, they won't just say this is, you know, we have a pretty good chance that this (laughs) is what it is because they want to wait till the pathology comes back. So then enter the three longest weeks of my life. So I'm still crossfitting. I just like set a PR on my back squat. I'm doing like heavy sled pulls, like all the normal stuff and just trying to keep my mind busy while I'm waiting for whatever this is. And so they kind of told me like, oh yeah, seven to 10 days. We'll have your pathology back. So a week goes by and then two weeks go by. And then three weeks go by and I'm starting to get my intuitions like, this isn't good that they're taking this long. Um, I actually used to do cancer research in another life before I became a dietitian. And usually when it takes that long, they're escalating it for a second or a third opinion with like a tumor board. And that's basically what happened is my local hospital sent it to another, even bigger cancer center for another opinion. And then they sent it up to like a national tumor bank to be like, Let's get a third opinion, which is why it was taking so long. And the way I got told was truly one of the worst moments of my life. So I am about to go teach a university foods and nutrition class. It's a dark stormy October night and, and a block number calls. And usually when it's a block number, it's like the hospital, right? They just, I don't know, our hospital blocks their number. So I pick it up yeah. and I kid you not, this was the conversation. Is this Jennifer? Yes. I have some news to tell you. Okay. Your pathology came back. It's positive for cancer. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Do you have any questions for me? Click.
0: Oh my that gosh.
1: was basically how I was diagnosed as having cancer, which is crazy. Like no, we're gonna we want to see you face to face. Here's what to expect next. Here's what and then basically, we'll call you when we've got some more stuff for you to come into the hospital and do. like boom world world changing news, just like Jeez. you have cancer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you have any questions? Bye. hangs up the phone.
0: Golly!
1: So I was obviously in shock. Um, I was really calm on the phone. I think I had like one word answers, right? Like, yes. Yeah this is me. Okay. I think I even said, thank you. Like who says, thank you to something like that. People like Canadian in me probably into <laughs> me at birth. <laughs> and so at that point, my husband was coaching a CrossFit class, but he's like super professional. So he never has his phone on him on the floor. He always has it like in a drawer on silent, you know, he's like really, really dedicated to his craft. Yeah. So I call him knowing I'm not going to reach, reach him, but I was like, I'm, I, I have to call someone like you were just told the worst news of your life can't reach him. So then the next call I make is to my family, my mom and my dad who live about an hour and a half away. And I was like, mom I have cancer and she's like what and then
0: what's like, going on
1: yeah like this is just oh um, this is so wild so then I remember this phone call to my mom I was like mom they called me I have cancer and I start getting more upset and she's uh, like what and I was like stop <laughs> saying what I'm telling you I have cancer so it was like this like ridiculous shock conversation of like mom I have cancer what I have cancer what I have cancer yeah. what I was like stop saying what <laughs> So she's like, I'm getting in the car. I'm coming to you. I was like, okay. So she starts driving with my dad to London. So they live, like I said, an hour and a half away. And then I was like, how do I reach my husband? So then I call one of our oldest and most dear friends who's a member of our gym. And I know like John P's my guy. Like John trains at six o'clock every night without without fail. He is like Mr. Consistent. You know, one of our favorite friends we've become very good friends with long-term can't reach him. So I was like, okay, I'm going to call his wife, Cindy. So I call his wife to be like, you need to keep calling your husband for me. Cause if you can reach your husband, your husband can tell my husband, like, Shit just hit the fan. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm not sure if I can swear on a podcast. Okay. No worries. <laughs> All right. Perfect. So she, she's thinking my dog has cancer. And she knows that we're like, our dog is like our gym dog, Carly. She's like a black lab that's always in class. So like our dog is like truly like a member of our right. gym. And she's like, what? Your dog has cancer? I'm like, no, I have cancer. Like, this is just a like not funny, funny comedy of airs trying to pass this message on. And so she's like, oh my God. She's like, do you need me to like get in the car and drive to the gym? And I was like, like, yes, if you can go do that, like, please help me get this message. So then to add insult to injury, or maybe this is just like the weird working professional that I am, I'm supposed to go teach a night class in 30 minutes. So I have a university lecture with about a hundred students waiting for me. Their first years were about like, I don't know, a month into the semester. So they're still kind of brand new. I teach on this like far off campus site. So we have like main campus and then we have this like satellite campus that I know for students, it's like a 25 minute walk for a lot of them. And I'm always really mindful that people, I'm so grateful when people are, you know, excited to come to this nutrition class. That's always like a sold out um Semester, like I won the teaching award. People yeah. really like this material. I love teaching it. And I do these fun activity games because they're first years to be yeah. like, if you come to class, we're not putting pressure on did you get the answer right or wrong? I want you to, like, miss Bristol, take chances, yeah. make mistakes, <laughs> get messy. So as long as they do the activity, they can earn a percentage of yeah. their final mark up to about 10%, and they're spread throughout the year. Yeah. So that day was a day I told them one of their you know first or second activity points were coming. And I was like, I'm not going to stand up a hundred people Then I'm going to get like a hundred emails asking me, oh, how do I get this mark? And what happened? And you weren't in class. So I put on my game face, get in my car, drive to class just after being told I have cancer. This ridiculous phone call with like the oncologist, my mom, my husband still doesn't know. Right. And I was like, okay, guys, tell a little light lie. lie." And I was like, I'm not feeling the best. So, you know, pretending I'm contagious, like just keep your distance. I think I may be coming down with something, but I know you guys are all on your way here tonight. I want to make sure you get, you know, your fun activity point. Let's do the activity right off the bat as a class that took like 15 minutes. And then i had already actually recorded the lecture from a different um, time. I taught the course where I had it on video. So I was like, what I'll do so you guys don't miss the material with the exam coming up is I'll just um, throw in the video. I'll also put it on our course website. So if you want to go home and take an early night and everyone's like, yes, awesome. We get to go home early. I'm like, watch it on your own time. You're not going to miss me teaching it to you. And, uh, and then people are like, okay, I hope you feel better. And I was like, thank you so much. I'm just going to go home. And like, so I like kept it together, um, which, you know, I, at that point, I didn't know enough to kind of tell them anything. Like, would I be going off? Would there be surgery? Do I need chemo? Like, what the heck's going to happen? So I was like, just, disturb them the least like how do i be a good prof they get what they need disturb them the least with my own ish my own medical crisis going on and then i kind of went home and like fell apart so yeah like just started <clears throat> sobbing and dave came home with like the biggest bunch of flowers and like wrapped me in a bear hug and he Aww. just i remember he's like we're gonna be okay you're really strong you're gonna get through this and that is like the most clear memory of like that night so it's
0: good to like have such a kind of dark rough moment yeah like be contrasted with like the love of family
1: Oh my gosh, it was my mom, my dad, my husband Dave, and my dog Carly. And I just was like wrapped in love. And I'm gonna, this is kind of something dorky, but it's like me in a nutshell. So I'm gonna also add this piece to the story. All right. I use the symbol of a care bear a lot in my online posting. So I use like a heart, a bear, and a rainbow. And care bears were one of my favorite like cartoons when I was I was like a kid of the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. I totally watched Care Bear Saturday morning oh, yeah. cartoons. 100%. Loved it. Yes. Slept with the care bear. Like I had a little pink, the little pink cheer bear care bear. So one of the things I've always done when I've been a dietitian is to me, nutrition coaching is so much more than just educating people on like the nutrients in our food. Hey, this is why broccoli is good for you and you should eat it. That's like surface level coaching yeah. in a weird and wonderful way. Really great coaches can see the whole person and their whole life. And I think It's a testament to functional fitness and CrossFit coaches. The best coaches don't just coach movement form. They coach them as a a whole human, a whole person who has a life and feelings and emotions and good stuff to celebrate and rough patches to get through. And so one of the things I've always tried to do whenever I'm with someone is it's their time to have undivided attention and care directed to them. And I actually envisioned silently this idea of like filling someone up so that when they leave an appointment, I kind of got to blast them with that care bear cheer Uh of whatever you need. Do you need love? Do you need support? Do you need empathy? Do you need undivided attention? Do you need guidance? Do you need wisdom? Do you need to just have a space to cry and fall apart? And whatever they need is like what I try to give them in that appointment wrapped in nutrition, education and coaching. Right. And so what was so crazy after my diagnosis of cancer is I felt like for years and years, my tummy was like pouring out this love and all of a sudden I get really choked up. Actually, when I think about this moment, there was a day I decided to post online. Hey world, I have cancer. It's actually pretty advanced. I have ovarian cancer that's in other parts of my body. I'm going in for surgery soon. I'm scared. It's serious. And it was like a mirror of every single person that I had touched in one way, shape or form. I had been a varsity hockey player, a varsity rower. I used to be a residence advisor for like students and res and just like all my part-time jobs over the years, all my clients, all our CrossFit members. It was like every single person became a Care Bear and like linked arms and blasted me with like courage and love and support and just... I just felt like I saw the best side of humanity. Everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, the world is so terrible. Everyone's so selfish. Everyone just cares about themselves." But it was this like beautiful moment where people were like, "How can I help?" Or the ways everyone had talents. So they were just like, "Hey, I've got this like a former rowing friend of mine was like, "I actually work in clinical trial research for cancer." Could, I don't want to be pushy, but could I offer you the gift of if you feel comfortable sharing your pathology with me, I will research all the clinical trials going on in the world for your type of cancer and I'll see what strings I can pull to get you in. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is a, a like a life-saving gift. And within three days, and she coordinated with my mom because I was like so weak, so sick, like not doing well. I was like, you have permission to talk to my mom. Can you guys spearhead it? to get me an interview to be possibly onboarded onto this like clinical trial. Like what an amazing gift. And she like lives in California and I'm up here in Canada. And like, we hadn't talked to each other in probably like 14 years or whatever, but she just moved mountains and like made it happen. That's awesome. And yeah. And like a doctor friend, um, like I just, The city that I was in doesn't have the best reputation for its cancer care. So there's a hospital that's like three hours away from where I live in Toronto, like obviously a big center in Canada. Um, It's ranked number three in the world for cancer care. It's best in Canada. And she got me into a clinical trial there. And so like, it's like covered by our taxes. I didn't have to like fly to Germany and pay like 50,000, 100,000 out of pocket. And I got into surgery really quickly. And so then surgery was such an interesting part of the story. What was the
0: timeline between diagnosis? Well, a uh, prognosis nice of cancer, then the diagnosis yeah. of the type of cancer. Yeah. And then surgery. Like, what was that timeline?
1: Okay. So it was five years of being told I was crazy yep. and nothing was wrong to diagnose. It was October 29th okay. of 2018. Then they pulled me back in on November 4th to be like, Actually, we got an updated from one of the pathology centers. We took it off to for like a third opinion. You actually have a really aggressive and rare situation where you have two cancers at once. Both are ovarian. Mm. They actually told me that they believed by one of the strains. That's why they kept getting these extra opinions. They're like, what's weird, we we don't see this very often, is we actually think you have an embryonic form of cancer that you developed in utero when your mom was pregnant with you. So like your cancer started, we think, when you were a developing fetus. Wow. So I actually think I've had cancer my whole life. And it. looking back, I was always sickly as a kid. I would get infections and get like crashing down. Yeah. And then I would have like stomach problems and breathing problems. And again, they kind of thought I had like celiac disease as a kid because you're like, oh, you just have all these problems and you're always kind of feeling sick to your stomach. Yeah. And so my mom put me through like all this testing when I was a baby because she knew like something just, she wasn't, I was her first kid and I wasn't quite like a little bit of failure to thrive. And so I'm so proud. I became a high level athlete because I I worked really hard (laughs) with fitness and recovery and nutrition. And it goes to show you, even in like crappy circumstances how you care for yourself can like help you unlock your highest potential
0: 100 percent, yes
1: yeah so they think i had this what's called a murillion i can never say the word some kind of origin that had like a fetal origin to it yeah. and then i had this like super aggressive it's called high-grade ser- serous ovarian cancer and that one's a lot like a pancreatic cancer where if you hear someone has pancreatic cancer you're like oh that's really bad like most people with pancreatic cancer die within a year. Yeah. And that's super true of high grade ovarian cancer. You don't hear of a lot of people having this cancer because most people, when they have it, die so quickly, they're not around to be like, I'm a survivor of this. Like yeah. you don't really make it out. And then I have this like low-grade ovarian cancer. So the other kind of cancer that is like, have you ever seen like a tent caterpillar nest where it's just this like web of fuzz that these like, I don't know, we have them up here in Canada.
0: I have not but if, but I'm picturing it, <laughs> okay. So it's
1: a cancer that doesn't form like a solid lump. It just yeah. starts to form almost like a really intricate spider web. yeah, yeah, but it's fuzzy, yeah. and then it adheres to all your organs. Got it. so when they opened me up, I had this fuzz that had grown all through my abdominal cavity and it was glued to my ovaries my mm. uterus it was on my intestines my appendix it had grown through my ovaries into my colon mm. and then was starting to fuzz over my colon and that's why they couldn't get the camera through and i was feeling constantly so sick to my stomach wow, okay <laughs> is this like fuzz was starting to grow up in my colon um so it's just this like super invasive cancer
0: and they're trying and they have to remove all that
1: Yes. So then they opened me up. So from the time I got the terrible phone call to a week later being like, we think you have like a fetal origin cancer. And what we found in your colon is not colon cancer. It's a different kind of cancer, but we don't know where it started. It has something to do with your reproductive tract based on like the pathology, but we can't tell you if it's a uterine or ovarian cancer. It's just it didn't start in your colon. We know that. Yeah. And they're like, so unfortunately, it means we, you're stage three or stage four and where your cancer is. And yes. I was like, oh, okay. So they opened me up and uh, it I'm again. like, when
0: was surgery? So it was a week. December
1: 3rd. So, so yeah, like, October 29th. Like, boom, boom, boom. Like boom, boom, so boom. fast. So then basically, in that time, I was waiting. So I now know I have like a very advanced cancer and I'm waiting for surgery. What I did, and this is just a piece of advice I'd recommend if anyone ever finds out news like this is I was like, well, what can I do? That's going to be helpful to me. I need to like save my own life here. So I tracked down every piece of medical testing that was ever done on me. And I created binders where I just got those little clear page protectors and put like every CT scan, everything of blood work and what sucks is I found a report that was done early on when I was bringing up weird things to my doctor. I had an abnormal pap. I've had to get sent for like three more follow up paps, which is the responsible thing to do when you have a weird, you know, situation. And at the time when I was 29, it said negative for cervical cancer, abnormal cells detected, cannot rule out uterine or ovarian cancer. Further pathology and tested, testing is warranted. And I found this report five years later Uh, and I was like, this sat on both the specialist desk and my family doctor's desk. No one read the report and no one told me. So it sucks because I lost a lot of body parts that I was bringing attention. Like things are kind of weird. Things are a little bit off and they tested me and they're like, yeah, there's some abnormal cells here. It's negative for cervical cancer. But we're not saying it isn't negative for these other two potential cancers. Right. And boom, it ended up being positive. Right. like that was the early, early, early detection of there's some cancer in there. Mm. So my advice for anyone when you're feeling funky and you're getting testing done, always keep your own copy of your report. And what I just did is I shoved it in binders, like after, like obviously after I got diagnosed, because as you start to go to specialists, a lot of times specialists don't pull up your full medical record and look at things that might've been three or four years ago that are connected to your medical story today. So what I now do like a pack mule is I come in with a backpack with all my binders. And I might be like, if, if there's anything relevant, you want to flip through here are my CT scans here. They are bookmarked. Here is some of the more significant blood work. Here's that bookmark. Here is these like pathology reports. And they're like, oh, this is really helpful. And then they'll take a glance at my medical record because it's all printed out in binders. It's so, a good
0: testament to like um, being proactive with, with your yes. care and having a, having a big picture of kind of like what all this means and tracking yes. it over time versus yes. not ever doing blood work. And all of a sudden when you're you know, later in life, how do you do right. this blood work?s accurate. What's normal for you. Normal, like, What's
1: been your trend on your own trend line. Yeah. So even for people that are super health and fit, healthy and fit, um, fitness oriented, like I was, and that's why people just wouldn't, the doctors and stuff wouldn't believe me that anything was wrong. Cause they're like, well, your blood work looks like amazing. Your VO2 max is way above average. Like yeah, I guess on, you have unhealthy person, right? Like compared to an unhealthy person, they were like, you are so above average wow. in your health. Like nothing is wrong. So my, I mean, you can't go back in time. I've worked deeply on forgiveness. Mistakes were made, but harboring that resentment isn't going to bring body parts back or change things for me. So what I did is I went to my family doctor and the doctor that missed the report. And I said, I'm not litigious. I'm not filing anything. Please use my case as a growth opportunity. I am a young, fit, healthy female that you guys missed these early signs of cancer, I've now been operated on, this is the actual outcome of what you missed. Please remember my case so that you forever can use this as like a a professional learning opportunity to help other people catch things earlier. And that made me feel good because I didn't have to hold anger and bitterness and resentment. I was like, how do I take something so crappy that was missed and turn it into a positive, not only for myself, but like that Care Bear? How do I make this more positive for the world as a whole?
0: Okay. So kind of along with the kind of psychological aspect, what was it like processing being told like you don't have a great chance of survival?
1: Oh, that was hard. So yeah, when I woke up from surgery, they basically, no one was like, here's what wasn't said. Don't worry. We caught it early. It wasn't very advanced. It wasn't that bad. We got great margins. Everyone tiptoed around and said very little. And again, when you're in healthcare, I've worked in healthcare. It's not good when they don't want to say a whole lot. So I lost, yeah, I lost the start. I lost my ileocecal valve, which is the valve between your small intestine and your large intestine, the end of my small intestine, the ileocecal valve, my appendix, the beginning of my large intestine, the end of my large intestine, um, like the, the sigmoid colon where it kind of bends around before the rectum. So they had to like stretch it down. sew it to me, I had to like Relearn to go to the bathroom, probably TMI, um, my uterus, my cervix, my ovaries, a whole bunch of momentum, blood vessels. And then they crushed my nerve. They called this a lean person injury. But because I was in kind of that labor stirrup position when they were operating, I didn't have, I guess, enough body fat over my hip flexor. So my femoral nerve got crushed in a six, five, six hour surgery. And when I woke up, my leg was just a limp noodle. So it was hanging there on the bed. And I was like, I can't wiggle my toes. And they're like, what? And I was like, I can shake my left leg. My right leg, my brain is saying move. And my right leg is just like lying there, like a piece of damp spaghetti. And they're like, really? And I was like, yeah. And so sure enough, I couldn't walk. So I actually lost the ability to walk after my surgery. And I had one good leg and one leg that just like, dangled there like it essentially dangled there and wouldn't do anything yeah so before I could get released from the hospital I had one of those super high walkers where I would like plant myself and use one leg and drag my other leg behind me and then they had to teach me how to go upstairs with only one leg so good leg goes to heaven bad leg goes to hell so basically you lead with your strong leg and then your bad leg just kind of like limps up the stairs like a yeah piece of string And so thankfully as a crossfitter, because I was so strong, I had the upper body strength to pull myself up in the hospital bed, but I had like pins and needle nerve pain going through my leg. I had a 32 staple incision from my like rib cage down to my pelvis that hurt so much. And then because my intestines got sewed back together in two places, um, I didn't get fed for a week. This is like, I can laugh at this now I had to prove I could fart before they would feed me. And I could not for the life of me produce a fart. I have never worked so hard to fart in my life. And then this is another, I can like really laugh at the situation because what else can you do? This is so terrible. The first fart I got out of me, my husband was in the room. It smelled like a bloated dead cow came out of my body. He starts laughing (laughs) because it's like so funny and disgusting. And then because I'm in this like, like kind of lying down hospital bed position, I start choking on my own spit because I'm laughing at him laughing at this like (laughs) disgusting fart that came out of me. I'm like, is this actually how I die? I'm going to asphyxiate on my own saliva from the first awful fart. that. But I was like, no, I get to eat food now. Like you get, I get to have food and I had gone like eight days without food. Yeah. And the dietitian in me is like, guys, you've got to start getting protein in my body. Like I am muscle-wasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, i got to start healing. But they just, my, my, my intestines were getting like looped and distended that they thought they were going to have to go back in and like maybe operate a bit more. They weren't sure if there's still cancer there. Yeah. And it was a whole mess. That was the most painful week of my life. I used so many CrossFit skills to get through that week. I remember there was this moment I was like breathing through it minute by minute because my incision hurt, my nerve pain hurt, my intestines hurt. And I was like, one more minute, you can do another minute of this. And it was kind of like a fight gone bad where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on minute three of minute five of round three. And you're like, this is just pain. All I feel is pain. I've done that at regionals. This is just pain, but you're like, pain is just a sensation. This is awful, but it's just a sensation. Like you can do this. You are strong enough. And I remember leaning into that self-talk of like, breathe, this sucks, but you can do this. You can do hard things. And I just kept saying that to myself, like, you can do this. This is hard, but you can do hard things. And that self-talk was so important to just like survive that week in the hospital.
0: What's interesting to me, and, and well, I'm kind of observing, maybe you can kind of give a little insight into this. It's yeah. like potentially from being a little bit more sickly as a child. <laughs> yeah. At some point, you kind of trigger with this. I should be. I don't want to be sickly. I want to f- feel healthy. So, like, obviously, right. this led you down some road of health and fitness. Yeah. And being down that road of health and fitness gave you the self awareness of like, I know when I'm on and when I'm off. Totally. And it sets you up to to become truly an expert in uh in diet in dietary matters. Yeah which ultimately like allows like this background of fitness ultimately allows you to like be proactive about mm-hmm. your diagnosis, probably also be, um, take it head on as somewhat of a challenge versus just kind of like giving up and they're like, well, I'm going to die. Yeah. And then on the backside of that, it's like all that training you had on the front end, whether that be, um, obviously the the physical training and, and the, and the, um, the mental aspect that comes with that, but also the knowledge base of nutrition and right. physical development. That's like, now, yeah. now I have to recover from this. Right. And I have to realize like, I've got the, like understanding that digestive track and understand that your digestive track is now different than it was before. Yes. Like it sets you up on the back. Oh my God.
1: I feel like I was just so, I was training for this my whole life. Yeah. And I didn't know I was training this for my whole life. Like all the weird paths I went down, like you said, with being a nutrition expert and truly knowing the nutrients Of healing from cancer, and I think they think I kept it slow growing because I was so I was eating so well, and my diet was low in sugar and lots of cruciferous vegetables and colorful antioxidant-rich foods. They're like, we think you've had this your whole life, but it's gone under the radar because you've been keeping it as slow growing as you were able to do without surgery physically starting to cut this cancer out of you. And then, like you said, that body awareness, that that self talk, and even like. What I've brought into this nutrition certification I've created are the self-talk, the mindset coaching pieces, because we have coaches not only have to understand like the science of how our bodies work, but building supportive environments and helping our clients develop, I call it solution oriented thinking, no pity parties, no poor me's, but how do we find solutions for the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in? And there's a way you can train your mindset Support the goals and outcomes that you want, and there's ways for coaches to train their clients, you know, to do that. And the fact that I was a cancer researcher and had been a varsity athlete and was connected to like doctors and other researchers, and I knew how to read PubMed articles. So when I started to go into like the ovarian cancer recovery research, this will sound crazy, but it's how I made my decision to not do chemo. Now, I am not anti Western medicine, there is a time and place you know, to get surgery, radiation, chemo, like definitely listen to your oncologist because every cancer is different and it's not all cancers are treated the same way. But as I reviewed all the PubMed articles and I'm feisty, so I tracked down the cancer researchers in Ontario and a couple of them are at the university in my home city. Uh I actually asked and audited their cancer class. And I was like, can I be a student in your class? I wanna come, you're on the cutting edge of cancer research. Can I come sit in your class? What else can I learn and take in as a little sponge? And then I went to their lab and they're just happy to like talk about their research. And I like went to their lab and took notes and I was like, can I just like interview you and learn like a student, anything and everything you've possibly researched or come across in cancer survivors? What ways that cancer can spontaneously go into remission, anything you've uncovered in your scientific inquiry as a, as a researcher, what can I, and the guy sat down and like talked with me for three or four hours. So like, again, you can be really proactive. And I was like, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. What is in my control? What can I do? So I tracked down all of my reports. I attended his university class. I went to his lab and just like sat down and had a really good conversation. I read PubMed. And when I came across the PubMed articles specifically, because I mostly had this low grade, low grade doesn't respond to chemo because it's too slow growing. So, chemo so they removed attacks, the, the high
0: grade. In yeah. this surgery that's gone, but
1: it's gone. But yeah. mostly there was some low grade left over. Yeah, and so they're like, and chemo unfortunately chemo deci- deciphers the high the fast growing cells. That's why people's hair falls out because hair grows really fast. So essentially, when I looked at the actual statistical difference. People with low grade who did chemo died three weeks earlier on average. So you wreck your quality of life. Yep. You're already like, not poisoning isn't the right word, but you're putting a lot of noxious chemicals into your body that Designed aren't to good kill for cells. healthy cells. And yeah. yeah. And it doesn't overly have a statistical difference on yeah. its ability to kill low grade. So I was like, okay, the surgery did its job. I think to get most of it, the fuzz pulled out now is where I go into wellness. Now is where I lean into the kinds of vegetables that are going into my body, the antioxidants I need to eat, sleep, healing, peaceful environments. I like decluttered, Love, like I actually meditated every day, and I like I treat my white blood cells like my little Navy SEAL Army members. I was like, okay, guys, pep talk, you got this. Like, it's not that we're killing cancer, we're gonna like blast cancer away with love. And so many people, I'm gonna sound like a little woo woo crazy here, but I could sometimes sense when people were like thinking about me or sending a prayer or just yeah, someone was like sending well wishes, and occasionally my body would get like tingly. And almost it felt like there was like this popping sensation. Like it almost was like a Rice Krispie where there's like this snap, crackle, pop happening. And I was like, I think I can feel cancer dying. Like maybe maybe I'm imagining this, but something, that body awareness, I'm like, something feels like it's changing. Something feels like it's different, good, good, different. Like I feel like there's love going through me and there's less cancer as a result of it. And so for my peace of mind, I asked my oncologist if I could pay for a PET scan. They're not covered by our tax system. They're about $4,000, you know, a pop. So they're not, they're not cheap. And this guy was the most negative. I ultimately had to switch oncologists and stopped working with them. He's like, there is nothing you can do. This cancer kills everyone. I don't care that you're young. I don't care that you're healthy. You can try to eat well if that makes you feel good, but like get your will and your affairs in order you got probably a good one max, two years. And like, mm. you know, most people, the average life expectancy with a diagnosis like yours is probably gonna be more like eight months. Like I was sent home to basically go go die essentially. Jeez. And I was like, you know what? I don't believe that. Like someone has to be the 8%, yeah. why mm-hmm. not me?
0: Yeah.
1: Why not me? But also at the same time, I promised myself, the week I got the news when I was, everything was really uncertain, I promised myself I can control how I show up. I can't control if I live, but I can control how I show up. I can show up with courage. I can show up with positivity. I can show up with um, a belief in myself. I can show up with love. I can show up with inspiration. And I said, I'm just going to face every single day of this experience with these words. And I drew a teacup and I put the words inside. And it's a coaching exercise I used to do with clients, which is like, what spills out of your cup? Yeah. Whatever you put into your cup. So, when you think about a word association of the kind of person you want to be, if life jostles you and you approach each day with like joy, happiness, love, empathy, kindness, resiliency, courage, and then life gives you a bump in the road, well, that's what's going to come out of you because you've practiced being that person yeah. in the good times. So, they're strengthened for when the times are really hard. So, I drew myself that picture the night before surgery of how do I want to show up with whatever they find on the inside and how I'm going to come out of this? I got jostled. My le- my leg went limp. I had to relearn how to walk. I was on a surfboard by like six months surfing into, you know, British. I was like, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to go do this. I can do hard things yeah. and I can show up with like courage and patience and love and resiliency, all those things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't believe that I'm going to die in eight months. Like, like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That's beyond my control, but I can show up in this way. And I just put my head down and like CrossFit, I just did the work. Yeah. I can't control if I made regionals or not, but I could control how prepared I was for the open, how well I showed up for those tests, how well I ate and slept and trained and recovered and did the body maintenance work. So this was very similar, just yeah. on a much more scary scale. Yeah, And yeah, it was like my whole life. I didn't realize was preparing me for this ultimate test to get through it and yeah. to get through it successfully. So my PET scan was negative four months after surgery. And my oncologist is like, "That like, will never happen." Like
0: completely negative, meaning no cancer. Completely,
1: like they cannot find a trace of cancer in my body. Oh my god! And I retested it at the three-year mark. There is still not a trace of cancer that's come back. Like I was essentially cancer-free within four months of my my surgery.
0: That's so awesome. I want to give you a hug.
1: Yeah, thank (laughs) you. I'll accept it. I'll accept it through the miles. Thank you so much.
0: What do you think? Okay. Like, I understand. um, I understand the healthcare system and kind of where where they're coming from and that. But I mean, why do you think there's such a resistance to being open to other options?
1: Hmm. I think sometimes they just, they have to work off of speed. How yeah. many people can you process? Yeah. And it's much faster to say, here's the chemo prescription, here's the drug prescription, here's the whatever prescription. So you can, you can process more people with speed with more of that Western approach. Yep. And I think there's also a fear and and maybe rightfully so we're sometimes taking a completely non-Western only traditional approach sometimes isn't enough medicine. Right. Because like, that's what I was essentially doing prior to getting diagnosed. And it was like keeping it at bay right I was eating so well and sleeping so well and exercising so well and doing all the natural right things but it was like the cancer was just still encroaching forward so I am incredibly grateful I had a life-saving surgery I think I wouldn't have been doing as well as I am had I you know rejected it all I think there's a difficulty finding what the right balance balance, like the yin and the yang of the they both have their place and they can both be in someone's care plan together. And I think it's almost sad that people have to fight or to choose a side where I realized I didn't want to choose the chemotherapy option. That piece of that medicine didn't make sense, but the surgery did. Yeah. And then obviously the things I was doing with nutrition and rest and wellness and other stuff. Like I did a lot of Reiki and I'd never done Reiki before, but I felt like It's energy kind of like healing work with a like practitioner, which again, I sound kind of woo woo. I had been very scientific my whole life. And I was like, but my intuition, I read a lot of books of survivorship of like one of my favorite books was radical remission. And it's a PhD researcher who sought out people around the world who were given really grim diagnosis who actually beat the odds. And she's like, is there a correlation? Can I approach this like a curious scientist to see patterns, pattern detection, so when I read that book, I made myself a long list called healing from cancer. And met, like, I basically went to like a quiet spot in the woods. And I was like, "What does my intuition think I need? And then I wrote a list of all the things I thought were connected to healing. And then I printed that list off and I put it beside my bed. I still have it there. I read it every day. And it's all the stuff of wellness that us wellness coaches kind of know. Yeah. It was slow down my pace of living, yeah. practice daily gratitude, get lots of sleep. Wake yeah. up well rested, eat high quality foods, be out in sunshine, go walking in the woods and in nature, yeah. take regular vacations and breaks, have yeah. Sundays be electronic free as a totally dedicated family day. Yeah. Um, yeah, just I have my my first line is like start each day with three words, happiness, joy and love. So it's like the energy even that I'm bringing to my body, to my mind, to the world. I think the energy you put out. You you do get back in different forms, and it can really result in inter, internal healing.
0: Thousand percent. I got yeah. like read um Wim <clears throat> Hof's book, and he's got definitely got cool. some like some woo's aspects in it. But the interesting yeah. part behind it is like when they ultimately do the scientific research, there's again they're seeing objective data change yes. based yes. off of based off of like his approach that um that in other words like the end result is objectively measurable right How we get there we don't understand that yeah enough.
1: the you science know, is still trying to catch up
0: that's kind of where the it's like well we can't explain why it works but we do have objective data to show that it does work yeah, yeah. very cool yeah. What, what did you change uh what was like your major dietary changes because you're obviously you always already eating pretty healthy so like what yeah. did you learn that you needed to change
1: Yeah. So one of the cool things I found is it was started with Petri dish studies. And then they obviously went into like mammal and then human studies of just vegetables that have chemo preventive potential. So basically it's a fancy way of saying vegetables that act like chemotherapy, So they have almost no negative side effect. So it is a lot, the things that a lot of us wellness coaches are already really encouraging our clients to eat, having dark green vegetables every single day. Right. Your kale, your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, um, also the blue purple family. Really, really good for health. So I eat a lot of purple cabbage, blueberries, blackberries, um. Anything that has that like deep, dark red cherries, like Uh. the dark red, purple, blues and deep greens. So getting some of those every single day, I've always batch cooked, but I now make a point that I always have healthy meals in the freezer for a quick grab and go lunch. And I always batch cook off of those, those vegetables that have that chemo chemotherapy component. Did and it's awesome. The because
0: volume of it, like I'm yeah. you're already eating it, but now you're like, I mean, that's every day without essentially
1: food. making sure you eat it every single day. Yeah. And when you read the, the cancer survivors that have a really grim diagnosis and often are, are lucky to get those great, you know, remission results. You hear that they do a lot with their diet too, right? So um I've always eaten lots of nuts and seeds in a wide variety. I've always had things like lentils and legumes, but yeah, definitely getting like the Brussels sprouts, the broccoli, the green beans, the kales, the cabbages. I mean, I eat purple cabbage. My mom used to do this as a snack as a kid, and I didn't realize it was weird till I talked to other people, where she would like chop it up in a bowl and I would just eat raw purple cabbage as like a crunchy snack, like apples. Yeah. I <laughs> love it so I like had kind of gotten out of the habit as I became an adult and I was like oh yeah this stuff is so good for you it's such an affordable vegetable I mean one cabbage will last like weeks and I'll just like chop that up and stick it in my veggie bucket and just like munch on purple cabbage and I was like come on work your magic like go kill some cancer so just stuff like that and and not that I always had a lot of sugar but just really made a point of like, yeah, like special occasions, small amounts when I feel like it, you know, fruit, such an enjoyable way to have a little bit of sweetness. If, if you need something, um, and you just feel like your energy, you just feel so much better when you put high quality nutrition into you, which I obviously believe is a nutrition coach.
0: Well, uh, how much uh, weight do you put into like cooked versus raw and organic versus not organic?
1: Yeah. So I love to not pick sides and I'm going to give a fitness example for a reason. The, the scientists and the dietitian and me understand that cooking does change the nutritional value, but it's not always what you think is cooking makes it worse. Yep. When yep. you keep things in the raw form, you enhance a lot of the water soluble vitamins. So basically the B vitamins and vitamin C are better maintained when the food is raw. But when you cook, cooking breaks down the tough cell wall And the difficult to get access minerals, um, which is things like your iron, your magnesium, your zinc, all of that are actually better absorbed when you cook a vegetable. So, as opposed to saying, should I get out of breath and sometimes do cardio or should I only lift heavy weights? It's like, your yeah. fitness is going to be so much better yeah. when you recognize that they don't need to compete against one another. You need to balance them in an, a, an appropriate way. So I've always had a mixed of raw and cooked because I know that there's benefits, advantages and disadvantages of both. But by balancing it, I get the best of both worlds, just like with fitness. Um, and I think sometimes people forget that is yeah. they they pick a side and then they like they hold on to the pros of their side but they are unwilling to be open-minded to the perspective of the other side. And that's what I've always tried to do as a nutrition coach is like, yeah, there's things to learn from keto. There's things to learn yeah. from veganism. There's things to learn from paleo. There's things to learn from taking an all foods fit approach. Like there's, there's benefits to it all. And then it's that body awareness of like, well, what's best for you? Like what works for you in this season of life?
0: Yeah. I kind of say like, Hey, look, if there was a best way of eating that That was clear. We would all be doing it by this. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very clear. Like we have to, we have to have a balanced approach to nutrition and any one major swing towards one direction is going to bring with it some positives, also some negatives. And so finding that kind of balance that works for you. Well, my other question, a lot of times I'll tell people is like, can you eat like this for the rest of your life? Yes. Answers no, then maybe this isn't the best long-term approach. It may be a solution for a short period of time, but ultimately we have to have some kind of balanced foundation that we can kind of fall back onto versus ponging back and forth between one extreme healthy diet and one unhealthy diet, so to speak. So, yeah. um, So, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about the holidays. Yes. So holidays are coming up, uh, and with it, obviously there's, um, there's a tradition of, um, eating certain types of foods and especially eating within uh, social situations. And, um, I try to encourage people to understand like nutrition is fuel. Yes. And it's also a way of creating social connections. And so, yes. um, you know, taking the Tupperware to the, the family Thanksgiving dinner, yeah. yes. May help you have abs a little bit sooner or whatever. but ultimately is that the, the what's best for your health? right taking into like the whole picture maybe maybe not. So yeah, let's, let's talk about some strategies. maybe let's kind of lay out first. One of, kind of the biggest struggles that people commonly see across the mm-hmm. holidays from a nutritional standpoint, and maybe some strategies to attack those.
1: Love us. And your timing couldn't be more perfect because this weekend is Canadian Thanksgiving. Ah, okay. We just so. hosted Thanksgiving at our house last night. So coming Are, off, y- applying this, all traditional these traditional
0: foods. Are y'all turkey? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, okay. Yeah, so last night for our tur- our, our dinner, but I'm going to tell you the order that I laid out the buffet, which will tell okay. you a little bit about how I, how I set up. We did green beans with slivered almonds. We did roasted carrots. We did a Caesar salad, so a little bit more fun vegetable there, yeah. into turkey, homemade stuffing, cranberries. Um, we do just like roasted potatoes so that we have a couple gluten-free family members. Now, bringing in my own heritage, I have a Polish Ukraine background and pierogies or put are one of our like traditional family carbs. Okay. So I only ever have them at um, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Like to me, those are like very special carbs. So my grandma sends down her bag of like homemade pierogies. So we make, you know, we boil a pot of those and I have like two or three of them. And it just, again, it's like that family piece. And then for dessert, I always try to keep it limited to one, no more than two options. So we had a pumpkin pie. And I made a homemade apple crisp that was gluten-free for, again, like some gluten-free family members.
0: See what you did there with the order.
1: Yes. So we go vegetables first into protein and then the carbs and more of the, I call them joy foods. So oh. I don't actually use the language with my nutrition clients of good food, bad food. I talk about foods we have every day, all the time. We have foods that are more sometimes, and then we have foods that are just once in a while. They're joyful. They're maybe connected to our heritage or just a joyful experience in our mouth or a joyful connection socially. And then the other thing I do that's kind of sneaky. Now, my dad has called me out on it. So I do. I have something for my dad is my husband and I actually eat off of smaller plates. Mm. We, a long time ago, when I stopped training at the regional level with CrossFit, I was like, you know what? I'm not training twice a day anymore. I'm just training once. It's a lot harder to change your behavior with willpower. It's much easier to change your behavior if you change your environment. Yeah. So I was like, I, I teach this as a one-time decision with a forever reward. So a good example would be within, um, say, saving for retirement. If every time you get a paycheck, your retirement money is just automatically deducted and put into a special account. You don't have to use willpower every time you get paid. You set up an environmental chain to force a good behavior to happen. Yeah. So what we did is in our cupboard, we took our big plates out and moved them to the basement. And then we went down to eight or nine inch plates instead of a 10 to 12 inch diameter plate. Yeah. And we just have adjusted you know, in our late thirties, he's in his forties now to just going off this and we got used to it. So what I do at Thanksgiving for the buffet is I set our, my, what I call our normal size yeah. plates <laughs> out. And then now my dad got mad that those plates are too small. I'm like, you can go get seconds. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> but humans will always fill their plate till full, full, no matter what size of plate you give them. So now I have the two options. There's bigger and smaller, but I find that just giving people the choice. I'm not bossy. I don't, yeah. I'm not like I'm holier than now. You yeah. must follow me i just i set the environment to be supportive and then however you want to eat is is i'm not judgmental Yeah, it is your relationship with yourself your relationship with the holidays your relationship with food i am not here to be your dietitian i'm here to be your family member right. but i can also create a healthful food environment yes. so i have smaller plates available it all goes vegetables to protein to the carbs and the you know higher energy stuff at yeah. the end of the buffet I increase variety of nutritious foods. So I always try to have at least three vegetable options. And I decrease variety of things like the higher calorie or carb filled or sugar filled options. So like no more than two desserts. Um, Normally, I only make enough dessert so it can get eaten in the event. And then there's no leftovers, you know, to go home. And then we make leftovers. We buy a bigger turkey than we need and we over make vegetables. Yeah. So then I have a few days of protein and vegetables oh, okay. and I might still have a few enjoyable pierogies and yes. you know stuffing leftover, but like that's part of the holidays. And then I use my dog as an excuse, okay. but I take us all out for a family walk after dinner because my dog needs to get her walk. And we've just made it part of a family bonding experience of, yeah, we eat a meal and then we go for a walk before between dinner and dessert. to let it kind of digest and and feel good. And then, you know, I always make a point on Thanksgiving day to still have a lunch. And I just emphasize vegetables and protein. I don't save up
0: because
1: I've analyzed enough food records when I watch people who under eat and save up they might have a three to 4,000 calorie meal without realizing <laughs> where if I watch people still eat balanced throughout the day, they might have a thousand calorie Thanksgiving dinner, 1500, wow. maybe that's still a high dinner, but that's not 4,000 calories. Yeah. Ultimately then, they
0: eat less calories over the day because yeah, they're like starving by the time.
1: Exactly. They get the <clears throat> and then I have another kind of tip I teach and it's really subtle, but I love it because you don't seem like you're the weirdo about food around your family. And I call this tip, pick your seat wisely. So what I mean by that is this is the appetizer hour where if you're hanging out and there's like a coffee table or you're sitting around a kitchen island and there's all the food kind of laid out. This is especially true for Christmas and holiday parties. Pick a seat that you have to physically get up to go get the food. And then I say, call it the plate or napkin roll. So this comes from a researcher who did an experiment in um, Super Bowl Sunday in a bar. And basically, they drew an invisible line down the center, and it was all-you-can-eat wings. And he said, for the the waiters and waitresses on this half, bring them as many baskets of wings as they want, but always busk the the scraps away as fast as you can. The other side, keep the baskets of bones on the table, but of course, keep bringing them more baskets of wings because it's all-you-can-eat. And then at the end of the night, they surveyed how full each side felt and they both felt equally full, but the group that had the remnants of their, just like their scraps left on the table on average ordered a basket or two less because Mm. our, we eat as much with our eyes as we eat with our stomachs. So if you eat around a coffee table or an Island and there's no plate and you're just grabbing chips and salsa, grab a little of this, Oh, a nibble of cheese. Oh, some veggies. Oh, whatever. You are eating with your stomach, but your eyes don't have a record where if I have a plate and I have to get up and I put stuff on my plate and then I bring my plate back to my seat and there's like leftover hummus, you know, globs on my plate and there's crumbs or whatever. Yeah. And then I go up and I get a second. My brain is starting to remember you stood up the second time and did a refill. You went up and got thirds. Like you probably remember at Thanksgiving if you got seconds or not, but if the plate was like the food was just there and you were grabbing turkey and stuffing, which would be weird. You wouldn't know how much you ate.
0: Okay. So we
1: need to eat with our eyes as much as we need to eat with our stomach. So I just always pick a seat that is intentionally inconvenient. And then I make a point to only eat off a plate or a napkin um, so that I have a visual record of, yeah, it helps you to feel full off of less food.
0: I love that. That's my
1: other little tip.
0: Yeah. What about, what about alcohol?
1: Yeah. So I love to make a point of making a ton of drinks available, especially because you never know if someone is being like sober and practicing sobriety for whatever reason. So I always like to have sparkling water. So it's a little bit more flavorful or interesting, obviously like tap water. Sometimes for me, especially with cancer, I just, I really don't drink a lot of alcohol at all. Um, So I might go out and buy a couple bottles of kombucha which is a fermented, you know, drink. And then I can pour that into a wine glass and put some ice cubes in there. And it feels kind of oh, okay, special yeah, or indulgent. I have absolutely no hangover or dehydration I have to contend with. And I might just during like happy hour be drinking my kombucha and I buy right by enough to like offer it to anyone else. Occasionally I will have a glass of wine. Um, but again, we'll put like a bottle on the table, but we won't put like tons everywhere It's, it's all there for the offering, but because we have so much water and other beverages and the other sneaky thing I do is for each person's table setting, I pre-pour everyone a glass of water and by just setting up the environment to make the healthy choice, the easier choice, no pressure. They can drink it if they want, but by as a poet, like my dad, if, if we were just at his house, he would come to dinner with like a glass of wine, but he wouldn't serve himself a glass of water. But I noticed I put a water setting in front of him last night and he drank it. Hmm. So it's just subtle things. I never preachy to my family. I believe in being healthy, but I make it easy on them if they would like to be healthy. And if they don't, that's okay too. If they don't want to take any of the vegetables on the buffet, you can, but inevitably people do, right? If you just set it up the right way.
0: Yeah. You're setting them up for success if they choose.
1: Yes, I exactly. uh,
0: the alcohol thing is interesting to me because, like, I'm very similar. I, I almost never drink alcohol unless I'm in a social situation. Right. My wife and I will go out. Her name's Jennifer as well. Oh, um, okay. But we will go out to uh, like a, you know a date night once a month or whatever, and they are usually ask the the waiter or waitress to pair some wine with the food because that's like I like to enjoy. Yeah. Wine. Um, but if I'm in a social situation, it's just like the the. It's more of a um, as a physical like reaction, right?
1: Hand to mouth, hand to mouth.
0: Like this is how I talk to people and like I <laughs> engaging with people. You know, it does. There's a I can't remember what the study was, but it, it's a sense of like security to talk to someone when you've got something in your hand, right? And I have to just realize like it doesn't have to be an alcoholic drink. You can right. have an alcoholic drink, but then you know, go get sparkling water or yeah, it can even be like a you know zero calorie soft drink or something. Yeah. Um. I, I I went out to eat with the, some of the two brain folks a couple of weeks ago and i realized like i'm i'm from memphis tennessee so south uh southerner you know united states and the lady was like would y'all like sparkling water and everyone was like yes i was like oh sure <laughs> like
1: you're like is this a thing
0: i was like i was like oh like that's what everyone in canada drinks is sparkling water i was like okay, yeah because and then some other uh southern folks came up and they were like oh that sparkly water, interesting. Yeah, but yeah. It's it, um, I what I liked about it was it's, I don't mean, know, you feel like you're drinking something different than water.
1: Exactly.
0: So it's got a little yeah. bit of the you know carbonation in it. And so, Okay. What about what about when you're at work? You know, a lot of people work in the office and they may be the only person in their office who's even somewhat into health and fitness, and then everyone just bringing cookies and chocolates and all kinds of stuff and putting it in the uh, the office kitchen. So what's some recommendations for those folks? Uh,
1: that is a tough one. <laughs> I always kind of say as an example, start within your sphere of control. So what can you control? You can pack a healthy lunch. Like if you catch yourself off guard, underfed, underfueled, not enough food with you, of course you're gonna get hungry. And then what are you gonna default to? the cookies and treats in the office. So yeah. the first way that you protect yourself against that is to come in prepared, yeah. right? What's the phrase? Like If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail or whatever, yeah. right? So have proper snacks, have a healthy lunch and have a lunch that you're like excited and looking forward to. So it doesn't feel like it's a consolation prize. You're like, no, I'm, I'm gonna enjoy this. And then I also get people to think about energy, Energy can be a really good motivator. Remember how it feels when you load up on sugar and cookies and tree all afternoon, you're tired, you're sluggish. It's hard to get to the gym. You don't like how you feel where I remind myself sometimes like, yes, that's going to taste good for a moment in my mouth, but then I'm going to feel flat and exhausted the rest of the day. And I don't like how that feels. Or if I sit and take the time to like enjoy my lunch I'm going to be productive and have lots of energy all afternoon. And I like how that feels. So I often just try to remind myself, just like when I go out for a walk, like, oh, do I want to get bundled up now that it's fall and it's getting kind of cold here? It's a little bit darker at night. And then I was like, no, you love an after dinner walk. You're going to feel so great. Don't lose the habit just because it's not as easy to walk when it was summertime. Yeah. So I convince myself a lot with energy. And then anyone that is in a, Um, role of influence, lean into being the healthy influence. So you can actually set a policy of, you know, not to bring those things into it, or maybe there is an office party. Cool. Treats have their place. Absolutely. I'm not a monster when it comes to, you know, nutrition and healthy eating, but I call it the box concept. And I think about this a lot for holidays too. The box concept is not a hog wild. You go crazy inside the box. It's like, this is a joy experience with food. I'm going to go to an office party. There's going to be some cookies, you know, have the 10 out of 10, eat slowly, taste your food, Be really present. If the thing falls a bit short, it's okay to tuck it in a napkin and let it go to waste. Like it's either going to go to waste here or (laughs) go to waste there. Both are wasteful, but one waste is a lot better for your health than the other. And then when the party's over, it's okay to let things go to the garbage. Like I know we feel guilty. We need to like get our money's worth, but it's a really important mindset exercise to go. Well, is it getting my money's worth if I ultimately get diabetes and then I have to start paying for metformin and insulin, like that is not getting my money's worth. Or if you have to pay for additional medical care, pay for additional nutrition counseling because you're struggling. So To me, my money's worth is I enjoyed it here and I enjoyed it here, but it's not enjoyment when I feel stuffed and exhausted and tired and fatigued. That's not getting my money's worth. So I liked the taste of it. I leave feeling comfortable. And then I can got get right back into my normal routine of like healthy living.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Server. There were some great tips. Your story is. And super inspirational, and I'm I'm glad that uh, I got a chance to one just hear it from you personally, but also that we're going to get to share that with so many other people. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. I'm um, excited to put this uh, material out there. Can you t- let people know where they could get in contact with you?
1: Yeah. So probably the best way is with my, um, my nutrition certification company, which is called Prosper Nutrition Coaching. Cool. And my email there is info at prospernc.com. So P R O S P E R. N as in Nancy, C as in cat.com. And on Instagram, same kind of handle, it's at Prosper underscore NC. And on Facebook, it's Prosper Nutrition Certification. But essentially, we work with coaches like you, gym owners, to really spread nutrition to their membership in a positive way. So we're working really hard to, yeah, certify team members, certify gym owners. It's all accredited with affiliate guard, which is really great. So you can go out and sell this and be like liable and covered properly. And it's this way of not just like, oh, you have to coach macros or you can only coach one style like we kind of had this discussion, there's many right ways to eat well, but how do we get our clients inspired where it's sustainable? Like you said, the magic question is, can you do this the rest of your life? So yeah, I just, I'm so honored that I got to, A, survive cancer. And I always felt like I had a bigger purpose with being a nutrition coach, wasn't just to do the one-on-one, but was to really help other fitness and health-minded people make a great income using nutrition to complement the fitness and wellness coaching that they're already doing. So, yeah, if you have any questions about cancer recovery or that list of vegetables that help fight cancer, like I always send that out. If people send me an email, so info at prosperancy.com And I'm happy to share that or answer any other questions you might have.
0: Very cool. All right, Jennifer, thanks for coming on.